The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 18th chapter. Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves, who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to the Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave all you that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of us if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The Gospel of the Lord. My dear brothers and sisters, I bring you grace and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're now in the second week of a short three-week, I guess I'd call it a mini-series. Uh, we do this every fall. We focus on some foundational or fundamental or basic part of our faith. Uh, this year we've chosen the small topic of who is God. Um, and, that's a joke. <clears throat> it is not a small topic. Uh, but we are focusing on it. And of course, the God we worship as Christians, we talked about this last week, is the Trinitarian God. God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Creator, the Redeemer, the Sustainer. Um, and that doctrine of the Trinity is, is summarized most succinctly in the creeds of the Church, the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed. Uh, so last week we talked about the first two words of those creeds, which are, I believe, or we believe. Uh, this week I want to turn our attention to the object of that belief, and, and focus our attention on um, God the Father, or the Creator, and God the Son. Now these are, of course, the central mysteries of our faith, so in a few minutes I'm certainly not going to be able to plumb the depths of them, so my goal this morning is actually quite modest. As it relates to God the Father, I simply want to lift up a misunderstanding, a misapprehension, maybe a mistake that we often make about who God the Father is or who God the Creator is. Uh, and as it relates to God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, God with us, Emmanuel, the Word made flesh, I want to just give us one framework uh, within which to think about uh, that portion of the Trinity that connects very 
tightly with God the Creator. So, again, a mistake, a misapprehension, a misunderstanding about God the Father or God the Creator. And I'm just going to say what it is. Uh, and it is this. It's that we incorrectly assume, whether we think about it consciously or not, that God the Creator is part of the creation which God has made, as opposed to being entirely and totally other or separate. What do I mean by that? I could probably lift up a whole lot of examples of that, but I'm going to lift up one specific one. Uh, there's a, a lot of interest, again, in people traveling up to space with SpaceX and that kind of thing. And I'm reminded of uh, the first human being who ever went into space. Does anyone remember who that was? Yes, that's right, Yuri Gagarin who was a Soviet-era cosmonaut, the first human being to travel into space on Vostok 1 in April 1961. So he goes up into space, and when he comes back safely, he is reported to have said, I looked and looked, but I couldn't find God. Or I looked and looked, but I couldn't see God. Now, in fairness to Gagarin, it's actually unlikely that he himself said that. It's more likely that Nikita Khrushchev, for political reasons, put those words in Gagarin's mouth. But the point is made by the comment. The comment is, well, if there is a God, we must be able to find God somewhere. That God must be part of the creation which God has made, whether you're searching for him in the highest heaven or the depths of the sea. And it's a category error. God who made all of creation, I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, right, is not part of that creation. The same point can be made maybe even more powerfully and more humorously if I talk about how you make chocolate chip cookies, which by the way I don't pretend to be good at. Um, but if you ask me for a recipe for chocolate chip cookies, I would not give you a three by five card that said, you know, a cup of flour, some sugar, uh, chocolate chips, and by the way, don't forget to add God, right? That's not the way the world works. God is outside of the created order. So a far better way for us to think about God the creator, or an analogous way, is as the author is to a book that the author has written. If I pick up a book, I'm not going to find the author in the book, and yet, of course, the author's fingerprints are all over the book. The book wouldn't exist absent the uh, work, the initiative, the agency of the author. But the author is not a character in the book in the same way that the characters are. Does that make sense? This may seem like a very simple point, but sometimes simple points uh, are important for us to remember. And they, if we don't consciously think about them and aren't aware of them, we might sort of go down a bad path. So um, again, we could tease out this in all kinds of additional ways, but let's move now from God the Creator, who is outside of creation, to the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, the Word made flesh. And by the way, if we even get a glimpse in our understanding that God the Creator is outside of creation, it makes the entry of Jesus, of God incarnate, into creation that much more mysterious, powerful, 
miraculous. And again, I want to talk, we could talk all day, all year about Jesus, and we will, but in terms of the incarnation of God becoming flesh in the person of Jesus, I want to connect it to God the creator in this way. So God the creator makes all of creation, right? And we are told in Genesis, after God makes creation, that it is good and even very good. And by the way, this is another sermon series. Christians do believe that the created order is good. There is no question about that. However, anyone who picks up a paper in the morning knows that the created order is also broken and fallen, not right. In Christian terms, we talk about that in narrative uh, form with the expulsion of Adam and Eve from the garden, or we talk about it as original sin, right? So something is fundamentally broken in the world. And one way to think about the Old Testament is that through all of the heroes and heroines of the Old Testament, whose stories, by the way, are recounted visually, uh, or some of them anyway, in the back wall of our sanctuary in our panels, God is sending those heroes and heroines in the Old Testament to try to fix things, to try to set things right, to try to say, I love you and I want you to love me. I want us to be in right relationship. I want you to be in right relationship with one another. And those heroes and heroines, they do some good things, but ultimately it never quite works. And so in the end, and here we get to God, uh, Jesus, the incarnate son, the word made flesh, God says, okay, I'm gonna enter into creation myself. And what happens when God does that? The world treats Jesus, ultimately, the way the world has always treated God. The world says, Jesus, we don't like what you're selling. We're not interested in you. We want to go our own way. We're not going to follow what you say. And ultimately, even Jesus' closest friends, and this is what makes his story so tragic, deny him, betray him, desert him. Ultimately, he is turned over to the authorities. He is beaten. He is tried. And he is executed in the most humiliating and painful way human beings have ever devised to kill someone. And then, through again the miracle and the mystery of Easter, God raises Jesus from the dead, which is God's way of saying, do you see, from the beginning of time you have tried to push me away. You have wanted nothing to do with me. And now, having entered into the creation I have made, you have pushed me away as far as you can by killing me, which means you have exhausted the possibility of pushing me away any further. And yet, here I am. And I still love you. And more than that, And we will talk about this next week. Not only does God say, I love you, but God says, I invite each and every one of you into my ongoing healing and redeeming work in the world. Again, we'll talk about that next week when we discuss the Holy Spirit. In the meantime, will you join me in a word of prayer? Good and loving God, we give you thanks for the good gift of your creation And we thank you for the deep love you show us in coming into that creation as Jesus to suffer and die for us. We pray this morning that you will help us to see how much you love us 
and to reflect that love back out into a hurting world. In all this we pray in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.